0: 2021 was an incredible year for commodity markets. The sector saw its best gains in two decades. What does 2022 hold for the sector? Hello, welcome to Kitco News Commodity Podcast. I'm Niels Christensen, editor of Kitco News. My co-host is Phil Striebel, Chief Market Strategist at Blue Line Futures. Hello, Phil. Welcome to the show again. Thanks for having me, Niels. And joining us to talk everything about commodities, What he likes, what he doesn't like is Paul Robson, Managing Director at uh, CRU Research. Paul, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. Welcome to my podcast.
1: It's great to be back and congratulations on the new podcast. I'm looking forward to it.
0: (laughs) Thank you very much. It's just, it's really exciting. I don't don't do a lot of audio, but I'm just, I'm really enjoying this. Um, Before we start getting into uh, commodity markets, um, Paul, just tell us a little bit about uh, CRU and what you guys do.
1: So CRU, we're a metals mining fertilizer research house. We've been established for 50 years. We're about 300 strong. And we basically do independent research into metals mining commodity markets on a global basis. So that's everything from What's the price of hot rolled coil tomorrow, which is uh, you know underpins the uh, the the NYMEX uh, exchange, all the way out to are there enough uh, are there enough lithium and um, cobalt mines to meet our electric vehicle needs over the next thirty years, and everything in between. So great company to work for, good fun, and um, hopefully I can share some of the insight from those three hundred analysts with you today.
0: Um, this is this is fantastic. You just yeah, I, I love getting this this overall view of the commodity markets. But first, um, Phil, let's talk a little bit about gold. Um, we have this anchor at eighteen hundred dollars an ounce. Uh, on Friday, we saw non-farm payrolls come out, uh, jobs of uh, four hundred and sixty-seven thousand created last month, which is really interesting because uh, in our previous podcast you were pointing out that uh, there was a negative number uh, being expected by some analysts. I mean, they were expecting to see some job gains, but huge margin for, uh, uh, for, for these, uh, for these gains. Um, That and wage growth is picking up. What are your thoughts on this uh, inflation, this uh, employment that we're seeing?
2: Looking at the uh, employment data, I thought it was completely fascinating because, Obviously, they were expecting negative 150 thousand. We got the ADP that came out a couple days before that. That was negative 300 thousand. So they revised up some of the numbers too, which is really interesting. December they bumped that up to 510 thousand versus the 199 that was reported. November they bumped it up to 647 versus uh, 249 reported. After the number came out, the number of rate hikes that The U.S. was expecting is over five. And, you know, the Fed, when labor data comes out, it's usually late cycle data. And this really firmed um, the the interest rate hike is, is basically a sure thing in March. I thought what was interesting was the ECB, they raised the number of rate hike expectations to two. And I couldn't believe that they're even, they went from there was no chance at all to Two possible rate hikes, but gold was extremely anchored at eighteen hundred, and you could see the buyers coming in today. We're pushed up through eighteen, you know, eighteen twenty, and silver recapturing that twenty three dollars. So a lot of good stuff out there.
0: So what is it then? I mean, it, it can't just be inflation because we've been talking about inflation for the past year, Um, you know, and, and wage inflation uh, rose uh zero point seven percent last month. For the year, it's up. Five point seven percent. Is that what is that what held gold at eighteen hundred following the jobs number? I'm just I'm sort of wondering because a print like that, and I'm surprised gold held up really, really well.
2: We thought it was going to be a big big sell off. I was really surprised. I thought we'd be at seventeen eighty five again on gold, twenty two bucks on silver. So it just tells you there's someone out there, and I've seen reports that. You know, there's big players out there buying gold. It could be central banks, could be, you know, just some some large participants. But I think people are really concerned about growth going forward and, you know, U.S. equity is setting up for a correction. So they're using some of these metals as a good placeholder. And, you know, and Paul's going to, you know, take a deep dive into some of those, those uh, more exotic metals, some of the interesting plays, um, you know, in like platinum, palladium, zinc, the, these lithium and things like that. Paul? Yeah, I think.
1: I mean, I, I think the inflation concerns are real and they're intensifying. I think in the U.S., you know, wage inflation, and and it's really difficult to keep a cap on that with such strong um, payroll uh, numbers and such you know such um, public positioning that uh, that inflated. Sorry, that interest rates are going to increase and your mortgages are going to increase, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think the ECB, Europe, there's a realization that the the significant challenge in europe for the next year is fuel inflation because even if we get through the difficulties with the gas markets in europe uh, this winter we're going to enter a summer at historically low uh, low gas levels which means we're going to have a restocking period throughout the summer under pretty much any scenario except for very very mild winter so i think you know we still think gold's range, range bound but there's certainly more on the upside in terms of where gold goes than there is to put together a downside case at the moment.
0: Is it is it inflation um is gold like if you look at all the commodities um we talk about gold as an inflation hedge some research actually suggests that it's not the best inflation hedge um you know but it it still is the the inflation hedge of, of choice. Um just you know I'd love to get your thoughts on that.
1: I mean, my my personal view is, is is that's too too simple a story for markets that are a bit more sophisticated these days. And I think Phil pointed to it, you know, there's concerns about maybe equities losing their, uh, you know, losing some steam this year. Um, there's clearly the upside of Russia, Ukraine, and I think more broadly, you know, where China positions itself geopolitically in that discussion. So, t- you know, leads to, uh, leads to uh, a, new, a new concern over um, geopolitics and, and therefore, again, looking for safe havens. And it's far from sure at the moment that interest rate hikes will be effective. So we can position all we like and we can post all we like and, and, and maybe they come through, but nobody knows how the consumer will actually react particularly with some of the funds that they've built up over the last two or three years. So I think it's a combination of, uh, of factors that say, actually, I'll, I'll just get a bit more exposure to gold right now, particularly if we do see an increase, you know, this will have been seen as a, a, as a bargain buy at this, at this point.
2: Well, I don't know what I, you think, Phil. I, I, you know, I was going to say, when I talk with our customers here and, and a lot of the people that you know reach out to us about, you know, trading in like gold and silver, they're coming at it from all different different reasons and it validates like what you're saying where it's it could be the russia you know ukraine you're looking at that geopolitical hedge it's also people thinking hey the fed can't possibly you know do seven rate hikes they're, they're at peak right now um, or they expect the dollar to continue to weaken they're coming at it on different angles not like you know silver has always been hey, there's going to be a, a squeeze on prices to the upside, and that seemed to be the reoccurring theme for people investing in it, where now it's like a hey, 60% of the mine silver most likely funnels its way to China, ends up in some kind of electronic product. Now, once they resolve these supply chain issues, silver is going to have really robust demand. So you know, it's just a lot of different reasons out there rather than the old traditional ones
0: silver has actually been a really interesting metal to watch uh, i just wrote a story actually on this um uh the us mint sold 5 million ounces of silver in january uh, the last time they did that was 2017 um so we just we just see this this robust demand for the physical metal which is really interesting because the price just you know like through january um the price was fairly volatile i mean trading within a a 3 dollar range um, i guess you know the, so the the paul the question I really wanted to ask you is, you know, what investments do you like for for 2022 and, and why?
1: So we, you know, maybe if I just do a set where we are, you, you opened by talking about how well markets have performed in 2021. And um, we we track a basket, you know, of 38 commodities. You know, all 38 of those commodities registered a year on year annual increase 2021 over 2020. We've never seen that. It, it's never happened period. Um, And on average, those prices increased by 70%, 70%. And yes, there's a rebound in there. But again, that is um, uh, unprecedented. So 2022, is a year that we think you see price gains to be retained and then some further increases. So we're looking at an average 10% increase 2022 over 2021, some losers and some, um, some winners in there. So if we, if, you know, if we stick with the winners, um, the top, top five, if I start and you guys can ask questions, <laughs>
0: Please. Um, you know,
1: so top five, this is a bit of a cheat, but actually the best performing price basket overall is fertilizers. And I know you guys sometimes talk about crops, but the fertilizer basket, you know, we're looking at, we're looking at prices that on average doubled in 2021. So this is across MPK and that will increase again by another 30 to 40% in 2022. Um, and that's driven by crop prices, uh, which has come from increased demand. Which again, the the, uh, the the COVID crisis led, particularly in China, but in some other countries, for people to think about food security. So we saw a real racking up of imports of wheat and corn and other um, and, and other food crops. Prices responding. That in itself led to um, demand increase in fertilizer prices. You know, chasing crop yields. Um, But we're also seeing that cost inflation in fertilisers, we're seeing supply being tightened, both with the European gas issue affecting nitrogen plants, we talked about earlier, but also China reducing its exports. Um, So overall, we've got a picture which we think will continue into 2022, 40% price increase in 2022, really good for Canadian potash producers if they can get material out, um, uh, and then some moderating after, um, after that. So that, that's our number one pick as a basket, I have to say. Um, then more traditionally, and perhaps some of your listeners won't be so surprised here, um, nickel markets. So um, another year where markets are going to be balanced and therefore the demand upside supports prices, which are already at 10-year highs. Um, again, really important, you know, we focus on EV and that's driving momentum. But what's driving the growth still is the stainless steel market. So we've got a pickup in stainless steel, 5% growth driven by China, Um, announcements out of China this morning following the Chinese New Year calling for investment to be brought forward just to make sure that deals with any economic uncertainty, which is good for steel, good for stainless steel. Um, Sentiment being driven by electric vehicles, um, and we continue to increase our forecasts of electric vehicle unit sales, um, and that is creating a medium-term cagar growth of about 7% for nickel, which hist- historically it's been 4%. So nearly a doubling of, uh, of Kagar going forward for the nickel market. Um, we also expect large production increases. So you know, Indonesia surprised once in the cycle when it introduced nickel pig iron, and it will surprise again in the cycle with class one production. But you know balanced markets means that we've got further upside on nickel prices this year, even after those 10 year highs. So that's, you know, that's the second big pick. Copper, um, you know, copper, we've got a balanced market again. And so we're already uh, approaching record highs. It is the poster child commodity. If you want to uh, talk about broader climate concerns um, and you know you can't go to Google without reading about the electrification of, um, of everything really. So um, again, although we've got a slowing of copper consumption in 2022, it's still above historical norms, circa sort of 3% supply is increasing there has been that investment and 2022-23 we're going to see supply matching um matching demand nearly but really the story after 2023 is we don't have the investment dollars flowing in to uh, bring new copper units into the world yet we've got a deficit this year we've got limited inventories we've got low levels of visible stocks so it's not surprising coppers where it is and um you know we expect Later this year, maybe Q3, we would expect a quarterly average in excess of five dollars a pound, which, wow. you know, I, I just would not have been saying a year ago. So, um, so you know, and I'll put my hands up and admit that. And again, probably limited downside in 23-24 with prices rising again after that, assuming we don't see those announcements coming through. So, you know, whereas nickel, there's a little bit more of a short term upside there and, uh, you know, driven by stainless steel and then EV sentiment, copper. There's a, you know, there is a real shortage looming on the horizon and there's a lack of broader uh, investors and, you know, closer to you guys, a lack of um, appetite to invest in new mines in Arizona, for example, it certainly looks that way. So um, building on that story, um, the surprise is probably aluminum. Um, and I've been tracking that for such a long time. Um, and, um, you know, again, deficits in 2022. uh Good demand growth in 2022 on the back of construction and and exports. But again, really a supply story and a China story. So China becoming much more balanced in its approach and no longer being that large export of of metal units, which brings the world more into balance. And then currently about 750,000 tonnes of smelting capacity that is um, curtailed in Europe, again, because of high energy prices. Now, that won't remain curtailed all year, we don't expect. But we're looking at you know, over a million and a half ton deficit in 22, 2022. Again, stop on a global basis, I should say, uh, reducing stocks and critical stock levels. So again, um, decent prices uh, retained in um, 2022. Um, and my final one, if that's okay, so the one that maybe this will surprise people that I think it's still running under the radar is cobalt. And, uh, you know, even with the current price increase, I think it's running under the radar. And and the, what I would say is, you know, again, EV battery demand consumption will triple in the next three to five years. Um, there continues to be underinvestment in supply. And unlike copper, And unlike aluminum bauxite and unlike some of these other metals, actually, that is a structural issue. We don't know where it's going to come from in the medium term and there's limited availability. Um, There are short term production uh, problems. Um, The aerospace sector is now starting to recover. So you've got that additional demand that's going to come back in for um, heat treated alloys. Um, Investors understand this. They probably need more evidence of the physical markets before we see the next sustained price rally. And, And the one to watch, I'd say, is one of the things we're looking at is what if Chinese EV export growth, what if that is the thing that catches us all out and we see an acceleration of Chinese made EVs? Propelling across the world, and I know you guys have the Polestar brand in Canada and the US. We've got it here, you know, set itself up alongside Tesla as a premium brand owned by Volvo, owned by Geely. You know, it is Chinese technology, and it is you know starting to be accepted. So that may be the thing that surprises on the upside in terms of bringing adoption rates forward, even from our forecasts.
0: Okay, so I'm going to admit I know absolutely nothing about your first pick, fertilizers. Not surprised about nickel. Uh, uh, copper, aluminum, cobalt's a bit of a surprise. I know nothing about cobalt either, um, but yeah, it's it, there's definitely a strong bullish sentiment for for base metals heading into into 2022, especially as we look at you know infrastructure uh, spending sort of just across the globe and and this this uh, green uh, revolution, green energy revolution which is going to need copper. Um, I was reading actually a few months ago, I was reading a report from uh, Wood McKenzie saying that um, if copper prices do start to rise, then aluminum will be um, a substitute for copper in uh, some of these, uh, in, in this grid stuff. I mean, it's still, it's not as, it's not as good as copper, but it's okay for, for if prices get higher. So, so our analysis
1: most of that happened 10 years ago. You know, so the, the switch out of high voltage grids for, for, to aluminum conductors over copper has happened. There's probably less substitution can take place there than you think. Um, we would say that actually high copper prices are, are more likely to lead to um, to um, husbanding of copper resources in the power sector. So there's an awful lot that could be done in the power sector if you if you bring through um Remote access technology, local grid, uh, local grid generation, uh, remote access, um, load management—that would save reinforcement of local grids, and that's where all that copper consumption generally takes place now on the low voltage local grids. So anything you can do to load manage and take take away the need to move wires from um, you know from some central grid to local areas, that'll you know the technology will definitely be helped by higher copper prices. So but oh, now-
0: yeah. oh.
2: sorry Paul you were saying that uh 2023 is when you really believe that this copper is going to take off is that was that correct So
1: 2023 is when you start to see the lack of supply supply coming through. So by 2023, we've either got to see a slew of further announcements in the field to say we're you know, we're investing in new copper facilities, new copper mines, or that's when I think it becomes apparent that um, what are relatively balanced markets at the moment start to move into deficits.
2: That's really interesting because I was looking at the futures curve out there. When you start getting out there in the back half of the year, those prices are higher than the front month there. So that's got to be where it's exploiting that um, that imbalance, yeah. that
1: you point out, and you know you've got guys like Freeport CEO drumming the drumming the uh, or drumming the drums on um, on on the future of copper at the moment. You've got Goldman Sachs saying it's one of their commodity favourites, so it's not um, it's not a secret. But the challenge is, if I'm in the commodity sector, if I'm in the mining sector, you know, investors told me quite rightly a decade ago to stop making things just for you know just for chasing volume they told me to start focusing on free cash flow start focusing on value over volume make sure that demands there. governments and companies like CIU are now saying that this energy transition will take an awful lot more material to uh, to, to meet that energy transition But all of that risk is currently being put onto the mining companies and we've had consolidation in that sector. So there are fewer mining companies out there and they've all got their banner copper project and they don't necessarily need a second or a third one. So I think there is more governments need to do to um, to incentivize investment in this area if they want to accelerate or we're in for a tricky period in the mid 2020s, no doubt. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, so where does gold, silver, precious metals fit into all of this? You know, platinum, palladium as an industrial uh, side of, of the precious metals. Uh, where do you see that in, you know, sort of your spectrum of commodities?
1: Um, so clearly, you know, short term, there's a there's a benefit to platinum and palladium as we uh, start to see the auto chip shortage um, sort itself out and we see some uh, rebound in uh, automotive uh, volumes. Um I think the other thing in play right now are the threat of Russian sanctions and what that might mean for platinum and palladium supply. Um, overall, you know, because we, we you know, we, we, we think the tensions will ease in uh, between Russia and the West. We've got platinum and palladium coming down year on year over 20, uh, over 2022 um, platinum, it's a surplus market it's oversupplied even with the recovery you know we think that um, they've got less exposure to sanctions and that's why you're not seeing uh the same rally in um, platinum right now that we saw in palladium so you know pretty much i'm afraid uh, a recall of 2021 where there's just not a lot to lift it up palladium you know right now um price is increasing i think they've uh you know, they've um, they've continued to rally and and there is because of the deficit market there is more of a concern that if sanctions really do, did take place there would be a shortage of material what we suspect is happening right now is you're seeing a little bit of um, forward buying of that material so on the physical market automakers they're buying in advance of sanctions what I wouldn't rule out is you know Russia voluntarily, cutting supplies in a tit-for-tat. So uh, it's not so much, well, you know, I've seen commentary saying the West will never let this happen. But if Putin's really scenario planned through the things he can do to impact the European sector, for example, then gas is clearly one of them. Starting to um, restrict items like palladium would be pretty effective and not so um, painful on the on the wallet for the uh, Russian economy. So I think there's a bit of forward buying on that um, if sanctions uh don't take place then again we see palladium coming off this year
0: Mm -hmm. um interesting Uh, i'm surprised uh oil isn't on your top five you know with with the rally that we saw last year um and we see all of this um demand and lack of supply where does oil fit into your picture
1: so we've got oil um, pretty much. I think we're pretty much flat year on year. So yeah, we're um, we're pretty much flat year on year. Um, annual average trading somewhere between seventy and eighty dollars a barrel. Um, we think that supply has reacted, and um, and again, we think probably from a particularly from a um, in inflation hedge. If we see inflation start to spike in the U.S., then there'll probably be moves to. Um, bring back some of that shale production that still is um, idled in the U.S. So we see a natural cap of existing capacity in the U.S. Again, sanctions aside, and therefore um, we still maintain all of those gains. We're still looking at multi-year highs for the oil price, but we're just not seeing that kick on that I'm seeing in some of those other commodities I talked about.
0: Phil, what do you think of uh, uh, Cruz top picks for uh, 2022? Uh,
2: the 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 fertilizer one's really interesting. The you know as soon as I get off the phone, I'm going to be pricing up some options on uh, the copper market, trying to make a jump on that. Unfortunately, I've never traded cobalt before. I find that extremely fascinating. I'm disappointed in platinum you know you really you really punch me in the gut by saying you don't see much uh, you know much growth on the platinum because that's one that when we drop below a thousand it's like the phone's ringing off the hook and everyone's trying to speculate in it they just think that you know they've solved this chip problem and then all of a sudden uh you know auto production is is back online and that's where they think that platinum's going to take off or palladium but um yeah, it's really really interesting that on some of those calls that on oil, you know, it just they really politicize the 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 oil being just a, like a dirty energy. So over in the U.S., it's it's tough for them to the government right now to get those oil fields started back up again. So that's why we're seeing that that gradual rise over here in the U.S.
1: I, I think the trend on the gradual ride is bang on. I think. In situations where people are calling for oil at 90 dollars a barrel, you're probably in some sort of geopolitical um, situation that, you know, tactics override strategy right then, and um, and you do something to uh, to manage inflation and manage um, the fuel um, problems that would ensue under that sort of under that sort of price scenario. But the trend, I agree with you entirely. It's the same, you know, same for coal in the in, in Europe in
0: particular. Just wanted to go back to your to your cobalt. Uh, uh comments it seems like cobalt is the play is is the EV play for for you guys um i'm surprised it's not lithium you know lithium was what the the best performing metal in in uh 2021 uh everybody's sort of talking about how you know lithium is is the is the EV play um make your case you know, for 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 cobalt versus lithium
1: So I think it it depends on your time horizon. And frankly, it depends on your risk appetite. So lithium, there is no supply issue in the long term. You know, there are plenty of resources. There are plenty of junior mining companies. Go out there, look on the TSX, ASX, anywhere for people who, um, who are going to bring lithium to us. So I think know, it will remain hugely cyclical and it will remain hugely volatile. And um, yeah, prices are up and they will be down again, uh, you know, in, in short order. So I think it's a different, sort of, um, a different sort of play. I think getting exposure to lithium in itself is difficult because I've said this before, what most people are getting exposure to is the lithium technology and the ability for that particular brine to be transformed into battery grade material, and um, you know that that's as far as my expertise goes. But there's a lot of failures there because you think you're getting exposure to lithium, and actually, what you're getting exposure to is a technology that they hope will turn it into that right grade. So lots of volatility at these lithium prices. You know there will be there will be a queue of people looking for investors to dust off their um, their lithium brine projects across the world again. So it will correct like it did last time. Mm-hmm cobalt it's far more fundamentally difficult to find those new resources which is why you know tesla and others are also trying to reduce uh you know do, reduce the um the uh, the quantity of cobalt that's used in batteries. so there you are stuck with the drc you are stuck with a limited amount of um of um co-mining uh, as a co-product a byproduct i should say and um, it's, it's difficult to see the growth rate, or it's difficult to see um, that, that story being, um, being any different. The, the risk on cobalt or the opportunity, depending on where you position yourself, is there's also a story there yet that hasn't made it out to the general public, which is this is where your cobalt comes from. These are the artisanal miners the children, the youngsters who are digging up cobalt, so that you feel nice driving around in your electric vehicle, um, and there's a, you know, there is a green premium play there at some point, uh, which is why you're seeing the likes of BMW and others being so focused on um, on where they source these materials from. So fundamentally, in the medium term, cobalt is just much harder to, um, you know, to find new sources of supply. Lithium isn't- will react.
0: So, but isn't the risk though that you know because technology is always changing? I mean, if cobalt is really hard to find, um, can it be substituted?
1: Uh, it will over time. Um, but how long have we had lithium-ion batteries for? Uh, so you know, you're looking uh you know you're looking at a, a decade, two decades before you can really transition that out. And um, you know, think about the I don't know the U.S. authorities, but think about all the. You know all the regulatory authorities. You would need to go through. Never mind, build the infrastructure. So, so for the for a decade plus, it is it is um, it, it is the battery of choice, and then others will come in and substitute over time. But it's 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 a long term horizon.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so really, i just I've really enjoyed these these comments, Paul. I just I want to ask. You're really bullish on commodities, uh, but I was reading a report. Um, tw- you, we're not in a super cycle what's, what's your definition of a super cycle? What, why are we not in one if, you know, 20% gains in, in 2021, um, like you say, you know, unprecedented rallies um, you are, you still see that. And yet we're not in a super cycle. I just, I, I got to ask. <laughs> so,
1: so it would be much easier and I'd be much more popular if I just, you know, we just finished it here and I said, I'm wrong. There's a super cycle. <laughs> um I'm afraid we don't think there is. So, so there are there's a couple of things behind that. You know, there's there's the short term recovery as opposed to a long term gain. And so supercycle for us means year on year, multi-year demand growth outstripping supply on a multi year basis. And again, you know, think about the last time we used that terminology correctly. China went from an agricultural economy. To an urban economy and continued so you had that year on year virgin bridges infrastructure everything being built for that first time backed by the chinese states are just billions and billions of dollars now we've got that in some metals clearly i talked about nickel saying that kagar is going to be seven percent against four percent i've talked about copper and the issues with copper so the energy transition metals Absolutely, there is the, uh, you know, there are the beginnings of a super cycle in those energy transition metals. But what we haven't talked about is where the big earners are at the moment. So we haven't talked about um, iron ore prices falling by a third. We haven't talked about peak steel and steel starting to come off. So I think calling it a super cycle across all commodities, it simply doesn't work. Um, we think that's still questionable in some commodities whether you're going to have that multi-year demand growth beyond the electric vehicle energy transition metals. Um, we've already got 10 of our 38 commodities. We're expecting to see price declines year on there this year. So we're seeing that divergence of views. And as I say, you know right now if you are a, um, if, you, if you're in equity or debt, if iron ore comes off by a third, it won't feel much like a commodity super cycle to you um, because they are still big earners for uh, you know for for some pretty big uh, rated companies out there.
0: So have I made
1: my case? What do you think? <laughs> Phil, what do you think? Uh, what do you what do you think, Niels? Is it is it compelling or or do we come back in a year's time and see who was right?
0: No, nobody likes nuance. That's the problem. <laughs> nobody likes nuance. <laughs>
2: Bill, what do you think? Yeah, I'm really disappointed again. You, you, <laughs> Beat me up over here. Commodity super cycle. It sounds sounds like you know the the biggest headline out there, you know, rising inflation super cycle. You you do got the cycle going on in a few different um commodities out there, like the agricultural markets. They just kept, they just kept going. And you know, that could also align with that fertilizer And, and some of these other ones, they just haven't really gone anywhere. And a lot of commodities, you're right. We've seen we're seeing lower highs. So on the charts where we peaked last year you know they're they're starting to come off or, or they haven't gone anywhere so you know there there's there's a cycle somewhere you just got to find it
1: <laughs> i will settle on a um, energy transition super cycle um, but but look, look at the nymex steel price and look how that's come off since q4 and and think of the, the billions of dollars that are in the pin by um, by steel and then and then you you know you you have a different view I'm afraid
0: well, and and you know a, a lot of these themes that you've talked about, you've you've also mentioned China. Um, what is your view on China? Uh, you know, they they are growth is slowing. Um, it's really it's especially you know I've been reading comments about copper. Um, China's growth is slowing, however, because of energy transition. You know this this need for for more copper in the infrastructure that's really helping to to offset. Um, some of the slowdown in in China, but how big a how big of an issue is this for you guys? You know what are you guys watching?
1: So so we we remain positive on China at the moment, and um, you know the thing to remember is China has far more financial and political levers still available to it to um, to fix any issues it comes across than than many economies across the rest of the world. Um, I think there are, you know, there are three things that we talk about a lot at the moment. So one is obviously Evergrande and the Chinese construction sector, and you know, unsustainable debt levels. Um, that's something that that is manageable by um, by the Chinese government. It is, um, you know, they are big numbers, but it is something that they can manage. It looks like, you know, the the best story at the moment is some sort of breakup of Evergrande and. Um, some of that uh, some of that debt being reapportioned to SOEs and some of those constructions being reapportioned to SOEs. Um, I think the the focus for the Chinese government with Evergrande isn't the international um, uh, debt holders. It isn't the rest of the world. It's that Chinese middle class that have bought second homes and are that, you know, that is their pension. That is how they've got their exposure and how they've got their investment savings. And I think the Chinese government are very focused on retaining support of the middle classes. And you saw that with the, um, you know, with the uh, clean airs policy. And so that my concern would be if they lost Chinese middle classes and you lost Chinese consumer confidence, that would be my first trigger to say something's going wrong in China. And we don't see that they've got the fiscal policy. Again, if you want the left field, so the thing that we're debating at the moment and the thing we're watching over the next month, is, it, I think the one thing that, that is, is difficult for them is I call it COVID versus zero tolerance. So um, the Omicron variant, you know, can zero tolerance. Well, it's not clear what China's route out of zero col- tolerance is. And clearly they're going to try and contain Omicron. I'm no virologist. But if they can't do that, if the Olympic games leads to a much wider outbreak of that Omicron variant, that transition for the Chinese government, I think, would be difficult to transition the population away from zero tolerance to we're going to allow it spread in our in, in, in our population. So that's the bit that's got a scratching heads at the moment. Can they contain it post Olympics? And how would they smoothly transition if they had no choice? So that's the one to watch on the downside.
0: Um, and and I guess, you know, moving back to, to the Western world, um, you know, we've talked about interest rate hikes, you know, they're, they're, the Federal Reserve is looking to, I've heard anywhere from, from three to eight interest rate hikes this year, um, markets are pricing in a, a 50 basis point move uh, for March. Um, they're even, you know, the Fed is even talking about reducing its balance sheet, Um what are the risks of a policy mistake i mean what are the risks that the fed um ecb you know they 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 didn't they came out and they didn't rule out uh, a 2023 uh, uh, rate hike you know it, it, it seems like they're pushing earlier maybe fourth quarter for their, for their first rate hike they're they're reigning in that um and i'm just sort of wondering you know is is there a risk that that tightening monetary policy around the world um, chokes off economic growth. That absolutely is,
1: and and I can I can talk from the echo chamber of the UK and Europe, and you know this. Well, you guys, message- you guys
0: saw your second rate hike. See, I mean, you guys are are extremely aggressive right now.
1: So we saw our second rate hike and we also saw the governor of the Bank of England go out publicly and say, don't ask for, um, don't ask for pay increases because we need to control inflation. <laughs> now, now, politically, that wasn't the most sensible move and I think he's had a mild rebuke. But, but if the consumer believes that the mortgage payments are going to go up and they're not going to get a pay rise, yeah, you absolutely are going to choke off that consumer demand. Um, and so I think it's a really difficult balancing act um, I think in Europe, it's difficult because of the energy situation, as I say, so probably more than wage hikes. Um, it, it's the it's the energy situation and what happens over the next year, because that really does look like it's baked in, whereas the US, it's probably more on the um, on, on the wage hikes. Um, if I give you one one insight, you might not have heard it that, that I think really encapsulates the fine line governments are taking so in the uk we have something called a price cap on energy prices which is regulated and sets a um, sets a limit that can be charged to the uh, to the lowest in society for energy that limit's just gone up by 50% because it's a trailing index of actual prices so 50% on the lowest paid the government have turned around and offered a um, 150 pound rebate, rebate and most interestingly They've offered a 200 pound payment deferral. So they've said we'll reduce your bill by 200 pound. We will now charge you for the next four years 50 pound back to reincur that to re- you know. And what they are betting on is that these energy prices come off. and what they're betting on is that the political situation will stabilize. There'll be less dependence on gas. There'll be less dependence on, um, on on energy. But if they're sat here in a year's time and the energy price situation hasn't resolved itself, you've just put off that inflation or that um, that economic dampener for a year and crossed your fingers. So I think they you know. I think it's a really good example of how they're trying to um, uh, tread a fine line, and, and that's going out to about. Um, i think that's going out to about uh, 1.5 million households so it's not it's not insignificant in the in the UK world
0: it's uh, or they could just do what the fed does and just not look at energy prices when it comes to <laughs> when it comes to inflation i mean that's the, that's yeah. core pce you know if you don't if you don't drive a car and you don't eat food um inflation's well contained
1: it's... there's lots of conversations here about what you should include in inflation and not including inflation now, and particularly for low income families. So, again, there's I haven't seen the data, but there's lots of data that shows that the basic commodities, the basic foodstuffs, the basic energy, those things are um, propelling, you know, they, they are, uh, are are. are there's much higher inflation in those areas than there is even in the headline numbers. And that's, that's mm-hmm. bad political news. If that, if that comes through, you know, politicians will have to listen. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I guess it is, is a recession sort of the, the known unknown as it were. Is, is that uh do you think that's a real risk that that we need to pay attention to or is it more a very big outlier? Like, cause I mean, we, we have seen retail numbers in the U S show, um, inflation, uh, uh, digging, you know, like, uh, inflation, uh, uh, impacting those, you know, we're seeing, we're, we are seeing uh, lower consumption because, um, people just, you know, their purchasing power doesn't go as far as, so I'm just, I'm sort of wondering, you know, is a recession should, is it, is it even worth talking about it or is it, is it a real risk?
1: It's 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 not on um, it's not on my radar. It's not on CIU's radar. There's there's still lots of um, policy levers before you got to that um, that state. And again, you know, for the for the middle classes, and I suspect the same in the US, the middle classes that are now transitioning to um, to um, work from home, hybrid working they're still going to be better off in real terms um, with the money that's being saved on, uh, you know, on those sides. So I, I think there's plenty of firepower in the consumer apart from those very, you know, the, those at the bottom of society, there's a lot of firepower there to, to ride out this. So no. Hmm.
0: Phil, what do you think? I mean, do you think the Fed, I just, I, I just, I love talking with you about this. I mean, uh, you know, I, I think you have the same misgivings that I do about, you know, these rate height expectations.
2: Yeah. if, <clears throat> Paul's right uh, that there's you know if they raise rates seven times flatten the yield curve banks are unprofitable you know economic slowdown yeah we could trigger all that but that's just so far away in time that the Fed can analyze what each rate hike does and how it affects things some of these inflation issues could naturally come off like on when we're talking food and energy and, and things like that or just on the food side if they can solve the labor shortage. They can all of a sudden get meat prices back down where they're they're you know they're missing there's not a shortage of cows out there. It's a shortage of from that product to it ends up at the grocery store is the real reason why there's a four dollar um, per pound you know price increase on everything. And then the grain markets, agricultural markets, we could easily get a great crop. You know, we could it's a lot of it's weather dependent. And then those prices come down. So, you know, like I said, there is a lot of things between now and a recession that that can be adjusted or, you know, could
0: could be solved. I like that. I like that, Um, Paul. This has been a fantastic conversation. I, like I said, I just, I love talking with you and getting this, this overall picture and, and my new picture of, of the, the commodity market. I just, you know, it's, it's a really complex sector and I just, I love how you can uh, simplify it. And, and um, it's just, it's always a pleasure talking with you.
1: It, it, it's a pleasure being here. There are some really good opportunities in the commodity sector right now. So, you know, we, ne- we should finish on that positive. We are some significant gains Free cash flow is excellent, but I think it is about being um, commodity specific, stock specific, and just really doing your homework to make sure that you know you know you're, you're, what you're getting exposed to. But great opportunities. And, and it's going to be fantastic for the next few years, particularly, as I say, in that energy transition space. So, uh, so uh, no, yeah, super on that positive note.
2: But not a super cycle.
1: Oh, no. Not a commodity wide super cycle. Look at the steel price. I'm trying to finish on a positive here.
2: I think we go out and get some pints after this. We can convince Paul that Paul had a super
0: cycle. Um, so before we go, just wanted to ask, you know, headlines. What are you watching? What are you paying attention to? Um, what are you reading? Paul, please go first. You're our um, guest. So, um, you
1: know, China, everything on China, and as I say, this, uh, how they deal with the Omicron and and the return from Spring Festival now from Chinese New Year, which again has started positive on the moment. I think that's that. The second is more broadly about solving this conundrum on um, investing into the metals and mining sector. So this this conundrum between policy, government incentive, uh, mining investment, and really it's we haven't quite got the right apportionment of risk yet, so that's an area that I'm very focused on, and to see well what are the policy moves that release that uh, that wave of capital that we need to make this transition. So they're my two areas.
0: Phil, what do you? Uh, what headline caught your attention? We're re- we're really focused
2: on economic data in the U.S. and how you know if it confirms. We've already seen like eight out of the last data points that have been released this year have all been you know, big, big misses or they're they're decelerating. So we just want to see if the Fed is going to make this policy mistake and tighten into this economic downturn.
0: I, uh, I want to see how used car sales are holding up in uh, this week's CPI numbers. I think that's, that, that is, that is a, a really, you know, quintessential part of this inflation, you know, like when, when used like used cars, when the value of used cars goes up so much, um you kind of do have to question it, you know can that last i mean it just it, you know so it, there is there is an element of this inflation will cool down it's just how much um and 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 when um and actually the last headline i want to say uh, uh it was actually this morning uh canada won its first gold in uh, Beijing Winter Olympics, uh, Max Perot, hes a snowboarder—he uh, he claimed uh, uh, gold for Canada. So that was uh, that was a headline that I saw this morning. So and unfortunately, I haven't been paying attention to the Olympics as much as I should.
2: <laughs> I heard a note that Canada's doing really good. Like they are the they're like the underdogs, and they're going to come out of this in the
0: medals count pretty pretty far ahead. That's all, that's all we have is winter sports. I mean, you know, it's just we get winter six months of the year. We have home turf advantage every every
2: four years, you know, regardless of where it's at, because you got the climate consistently. Um, we could again, switch to
1: cricket, but I don't think your uh, listeners would be very interested. So, so maybe we call it a day there.
0: <laughs> well, maybe rugby. I could I could hold I could maybe hold my own on rugby, but yeah, cricket. yeah, we
1: we just lost we England just lost to Scotland at the other weekend, so that's not a good subject for me either. <laughs>
0: Well, so, okay. So apparently we're not ending on a positive note. Um, <laughs> commodity, uh, energy commodity super, super cycle or, or energy transition commodity super, super cycle. Um, there we go. Positive notes achieved. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much for listening to podcasts. If you like what you hear, please tell a friend. You can follow me at uh, Niels. Sorry, uh, uh, let's do that again. Twelve twenty eight. Thank you very much, Paul, for your insights. Phil, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much for listening. If you like what you hear, uh, tell a friend. You can follow our podcast anywhere where podcasts are hosted. You can reach me on Twitter at Niels underscore C. Phil, how can people get a hold of you?
2: You can go to BlueLineFutures.com. We put out a great uh, research report called the Morning Express. covers all the macro markets and those metals markets
0: that you love. And what's your Twitter handle?
2: Uh, it's at P. Striebel, S-T-R-E-I-B-L-E. And uh, you know, now that I'm done retweeting everything about the football season, Super Bowls wrapping up to the end. I'll be back focused on uh, the metals and those macro numbers you're looking for.
0: And Paul, how can people get a hold of uh, you and uh, CRU? So you can
1: uh, email me, paul.robinson at group.com um, You can follow CRU at CRU Group on Twitter, or you can follow me at Base Metals on Twitter. And I uh, look forward to messages and questions.
0: I actually, I do follow you. So I follow Phil as well. So yes. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us today.